Welcome to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon, your host here. Hey, let's give a quick shout out to a couple of the local business partners that make this program possible. Thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe. Uh, that's my grocery store and a great place for breakfast, lunch, and supper seven days a week. They're not open in the dining room yet, but you can t do takeout. Uh, again, seven days a week, that's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Also, Noche Jazz and Cabaret, Des Moines', Des Moines premier location for jazz and cabaret. They are beginning to do concerts, said Noche, and they've also continuing to live stream performances. That's Noche Jazz and Cabaret. Welcome to the Fallon Forum again. Ed Fallon, your host here, folks. We are broadcasting from Des Moines, Iowa, the cultural and culinary crossroads of America. Later in the program, we'll be talking about uh, federal legislation that gives us some hope in the in the in the realm of the environment and the climate, given what Trump has been doing to eviscerate the uh, the longest-standing environmental protections we have. We'll also um, talk about the 30th anniversary of the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act. And we'll have a Q&A relevant to summertime questions about your garden produce. But first, uh, I gotta talk about what to me is deeply disturbing. The, uh, I, I have so much I wanna say about this. It, there, there are new levels of violence at the uh, Black Lives Matter protests across the country. And of course, the, the biggest concern, the, the, uh, at least right now, the one that's in everybody's face, is, the, uh, is that you know, nearly, it seems like nearly everyone, you know, except the, the handful of people, and that's unfortunately millions of people, who um, <laughs> are brainwashed by Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity and somehow feel that what Trump is doing with federal officers makes any sense at all. Most people who see those militarized uh, patrols, uh, troops being sent, let's call them stormtroopers, being sent to Portland, Oregon, and Seattle, Washington, most people are appalled by that. And, and we've seen the reaction on the ground. I mean, all that, all that Trump was able to accomplish was to, you know, put, put new energy into the protests. Uh, instead of a couple hundred people showing up, over like 1,500 or more shows up. Um, but also, more violence, and uh, you know, and and we're still not still not sure where that violence comes from. And interestingly, the um, you know the local authorities and the general public are adamantly against having these troops come into their cities. So why is Trump doing this? Well, <laughs> you know, uh, first of all, I'd say that you know, kudos to those who turned out and nonviolently resisted. What was basically is basically a localized imposition of a police state, or, or at least the front wave of a police state. So you know, the, the the thinking person has to ask, okay, so why would the president of the United States send armed federal troops into American cities, where they are unwanted by the mayor of Portland, by the governor of Oregon, by nearly everyone in those cities? Why why would he do that? Well. I think it's it's the Republican election strategy for 2020. We're, we're starting to see it come into focus. You take people's minds off the failed response to the pandemic, help people forget that the economy has gone to hell in a handbasket, and bring the conversation back to a 21st century version of what worked in the 20th century when George Bush ran against Mike Dukakis. Maybe some of you remember that in 1988, it was what? 
fear and race that helped Bush beat Dukakis. It was the Willie Horton ad. Willie Horton was the, uh, I mean, bad guy, murdered someone, went to prison. Uh, there was a program in Massachusetts that allowed him to get a furlough. Actually, I think he had several furloughs, and on one of them he didn't come back, and he did some more bad stuff. And Bush managed to successfully pin that on Dukakis, but the real, the real focus was be afraid of the black guy. Uh, be afraid of anybody who is, quote, weak on crime, who isn't tough. So here's Trump coming off, trying to look real tough. Trying to, try, I mean, he's taking it to a, a level that, that Bush never dreamed of in 88. So, you know, I, I mean, so the deployment of these federal agents, is, is, it's, um, it's brought out not only the worst in some people, but it's brought out the best in a lot of people who are seriously concerned about equality and justice. You know, as, as we talked about last week on this program, Wall of Moms. How cool is that? Well, that got followed up by Wall of Vets, which reminds me of the vets coming to Standing Rock and standing there with the Standing Rock Sioux against the pipeline. We also had Naked Athena, and we had, we had this um, Chris David, Chris David, the Navy vet, who took a beating and pepper spray for simply trying to talk with some of the stormtroopers. And, and if you ever watch the video of that, folks, that, 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 that guy is amazing, that he could stand there and take that kind of punishment without flinching. Apparently, they did break some bones, but you wouldn't know it to look at him. It looks like he's just um, a duck with water running off its back. So, you know, these, these are patriotic and justice-loving people who are using creative acts of nonviolence to, to call out the evil of racism and inequality. And also to call out the, the rapidly devolving situation with, you know, basically Trump trying to establish a police state. I mean... And that sounds like hyperbole, but I don't think you can understate just how serious our situation is right now. Okay, but we've got to talk about two other levels of violence as well. Yeah, there's the vandalism, there's the looting, and those things are wrong. You know, they're counterproductive. In many cases, we're looking at just small business owners who are being affected. It's their store windows that are being busted, their, their goods that are being stolen. But the problem is we, we don't know, we don't really know who's causing that. I mean, I, I've looked extensively online for clear, you know, um, qualified information about who's behind the looting. You know, some people speculate it's white supremacists who just wanted to make the movement look bad. I would not be surprised. Could be. Uh, some people also speculate it's fringe elements of the left, anarchist types. Well, could be. Uh, some have even speculated that it's foreign powers. Maybe, maybe this is Russia at work again. I, that, that's a long shot, I think. So the bottom line is that you know Trump's deployment of federal troops is exacerbating the problem. It gives him a way to categorize the entire Black Lives Matter movement as a bunch of violent anarchist, you know, rioters. And we, and we know that's a flat-out lie, as most of what comes out of Donald Trump's mouth is, you know. But the other, the other element of violence that, to me, is deeply disturbing are the images coming out of Louisville, Louisville, Kentucky, this weekend, uh, Austin, Texas, other places. So, you know, you, you've, got, you've got white power gangs, <laughs> the Three Percenters, the, Boog the Boogaloo Boys, I don't even... Some of these groups are coming into being so fast, it's impossible to, possible to remember all the names. But you've got these white power groups that uh, are armed 
I mean, we had, we saw it months ago when some of them showed up at the uh, at, at some of the state capital in the state capital in Michigan, armed with assault weapons, demanding that they not be forced to follow scientific regulations relevant to fighting the coronavirus. You know, and so now we have um, we have groups on the uh, on on the on, on the Black Lives Matter side, heavily armed. Uh, we saw that in Louisiana, and then we saw it in Louisville in a big way this weekend. And of course, you also at the same time where you've got you've got BLM gangs heavily armed, white supremacist gangs armed, and you've got law enforcement heavily armed, arms all around. And I, I don't know how that scene, how you feel about that, but to me that scene is nothing short of terrifying. How is that not going to end badly? How is that not going to end in a shootout? In in multiple shootouts, in bloodshed, in death, and destruction. You know, how is that not going to happen? And again, Trump is fueling all this with his decision to deploy federal troops to Portland, to Seattle, and we've been told to Albuquerque, to Chicago, to Kansas City, who knows where else, maybe Philadelphia, who knows? Well, you know, I say it's terrifying as to what might happen. Well, it's already happening. And this is a, you know, there's been some isolated incidences, but, you know, this weekend in Austin, you had 28-year-old um, Black Lives Matter activist uh, Garrett Foster uh, shot and killed. Now, um, according to CNN, this is a direct quote from the story, witnesses gave many accounts, including that the disturbance began when the vehicle started honking, and the vehicle was driven by uh, a white fellow with a mask. The, the vehicle started honking its horn. Witnesses told police that Foster approached the car with an AK-47 assault-style rifle, while others in the crowd began striking the vehicle. Okay, and then and then you can watch this. This video is on the Fallon Forum website, uh, the, the live stream that was filmed for during the Austin protest. And that, that live stream caught this incident. And it's hard to tell exactly what's happened, but you hear multiple shots run, ring out. And, uh, you know, I mean, nothing justifies that. But I want to say, what were you thinking approaching a car with an AK-47? What were you thinking hitting the vehicle? You know? And again, meanwhile, this weekend in Louisville, 300 members of... Um, the uh, Not Effing Around Coalition, that's the actual name, uh, they're an Atlanta-based black militia group. 300 heavily armed members of that group turned out in Louisville, along with 50 members of what's called the Three Percenters. They were also, of course, heavily armed, and of course, law enforcement heavily armed. You know, the, uh, the story there, in the Louisville Courier-Journal, it says um, two opposing heavily armed militia groups came within a few dozen yards of each other, in a tense standoff that ended without violence but marked an escalation after two months of ongoing protest over the police shooting of Breonna Taylor. So again, how is this not going to get worse? You know, did, did, you, did, did you ever think you'd see a day in America where you got citizens of our country walking through downtowns carrying assault weapons? I, I never thought I'd see that. Yet, of course, because, you know, some version of open carry is now the law in a majority of states, I guess it's, you know, probable that's going to continue to happen. And, you know, it's, it's this kind of tension, this tension that calls out racial injustice, it's, a, it, it's, what, it's what incites people to fear. 
And when you've got a country that's afraid and you've got a country that's armed to the hilt, you're going to have more and more of these incidences. You know, uh, you know I, I, I understand. They're, 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 I, I share the anger at what's been going on in this country with race. I, I used to represent the, the, the district with the highest percentage of minority voters in the state. My black neighbors and friends and constituents, I, I know their stories. I, I fought with them to try to correct the injustices. I know what's going on. But violence in response to violence is not going to work. It's not going to work. And I was, I was concerned. There was, a, there was a, a Black Lives Matter nonviolent training here in Des Moines this weekend, the same weekend that these incidences happened in Louisville and, and Austin. Now, I didn't go, but I heard from one of my, a longtime activists who attended that. that the, um, he thought it was impressive in many ways, but, but it, was, it concerned him, and it concerns me, that there, were, there was this, they were practicing chants, and one was pigs are pigs. Another was that all cops are B-words. You know, that, that, that's, that's not going to work. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I'm just going to say it right out loud. And, and you can criticize me for not understanding and not being sensitive. I understand, again, I get the anger. But you don't, you don't accomplish, you don't respond to hatred and anger with more hatred and anger. You don't respond to the militants of guns with more guns. You know, as, um, as a good friend of mine, Jeff Kissling, wrote in his blog this week, the point of nonviolence is to de-escalate situations. The goal is to create a space to step back from violence so the underlying issues can be identified and addressed. It's up to the protesters to try to make this happen, up to the protesters to refuse to react to the provocations. That's how we maintain the moral high ground. Nonviolence is a matter of us maintaining our discipline. We can look back on, for example, students sitting calmly at the segregated lunch counters not reacting as they were taunted as food was dumped on them. These are the things that we, we remember, not conflict and violence. Good words. And you know, those are the things that work. They, they, not only, they not only help elevate the entire conversation to a level where we can actually talk and not just scream. They work. They work. You know, calling the cops names, um, carrying guns, it ain't gonna work. It's gonna make the problem worse. We're falling into Trump's trap. If that if that's the if that's the, that's the decision you want to go you want to make. If that's the direction you want to go, you're taking the bait. Don't let Trump do that to you. Don't let this be a way for you to embrace violence. You know, as again as Jeff also wrote, Jeff Kissling also wrote, it's sad to see these failures to maintain discipline in the face of violence occurring. At the same time, we honor the life of John Lewis, who led the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. You know, Lewis taught nonviolent tactics, and he used every opportunity to talk about love and creating beloved communities. That's, um, that's my thoughts on that subject, folks. Um, we'll be taking a short break here. When we come back, we're going to be talking with uh, Len Montgomery with Environment Iowa about some federal stuff happening on climate that is uh, encouraging, despite all the bad stuff that's been coming through the Trump administration. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned source for specialty groceries. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, specialty cheeses, and hand-selected wines and craft beer. Visit the lively cafe for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. 
Gateway Market is centrally located on the corner of Martin Luther King Jr. Parkway and Woodland Avenue. Stop by or visit www.gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. Across the Des Moines Metro, Ritual Cafe is known for its excellent fair trade coffee and fair trade tea. Ritual Cafe also serves breakfast and lunch and offers an entirely vegetarian menu. This unique venue is also known for its live music and displays of local artwork on the walls. Located on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in downtown Des Moines, Ritual Cafe is open six days a week. Make Ritual Cafe a daily part of your ritual. Noche is the premier home in Des Moines for jazz and cabaret. With its prime downtown location and stylish ambiance, Noche attracts both national acts and local favorites, including Max Wellman, Gina Gedler, Scott Smith, Tina Haas Finley, and Nick Leo. Every Wednesday night, you can enjoy the progressive sounds of one of America's longest running jazz orchestras, the Des Moines Big Band. Noche also offers a world-class cocktail bar and serves a variety of small plates. If you haven't been to Noche, you haven't experienced the fullness of Des Moines' cultural revival. If you have, we're sure you'll be back. Noche, located on Walnut Street, just south of the Sculpture Park in downtown Des Moines. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Again, Ed Fallon with you today here, broadcasting from Des Moines, Iowa. I'd like to give a quick shout out to a couple of our local business uh, partners, thanks to Hawk Restaurant, where 90% of the food served comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. That's Hawk, H-O-Q, restaurant. Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been treating all creatures great and small for over 30 years. That's Story County Veterinary Clinic. Welcome back to the program, and again, later in the show, uh, Frank Strong is going to join us. We're going to talk about the 30th anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act. And finally, the, for our last segment, Kathy Burns with Birds and Bees Urban Farm is going to join us, and we're going to talk about, uh, well, we're going to be answering your questions relevant to summertime vegetable crop gardening. Plenty going on there. But at this point, I want to welcome uh, Len Montgomery to the program. She's with uh, Environment Iowa and tracking a lot of stuff that we need to be paying attention to but often gets lost in the news cycle because so much uh, so much of the focus is elsewhere these days but um, plenty happening on the environmental front on the climate front Len welcome to the show hi Ed it's great to be here so hey a little bit about your background uh, what brings you to this work sure uh, well I've been working as an organizer or an advocate on public health or environmental issues for almost 20 years and I started as a student activist at Oberlin College, which is where I really came to environmentalism. And um, in college, I learned about factory farms, urban sprawl, clean energy technology, you know, all of the, all of the great things that you learn at a school with a really great environmental program. And then as I was graduating, George W. Bush took uh, office and opened the doors to special interests like oil and gas companies and you know suddenly there were proposals to drill in places like Arches National Monument and that kind of you know hmm. solidified my my motivation to, um, to to do something about it and so I decided to take a job uh, working with an environmental organization and that's 
That's yeah. the, the beginning and the middle and the end of... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, would, I, I, I wouldn't say it's the end. You've you probably got a long ways to go in your work. You're yes. still <laughs> just fairly recently out of college, right? Years ago? Uh, well, 2001. So oh, oh, God. I, okay. Uh, wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I, I hope to have at least 20 more years of, uh, of doing this work. Well, me too. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, um, again, most of what we're hearing coming out of Washington, D.C., relevant to the climate and, and the environment is, uh, is, is depressing. I mean, here is Trump uh, rolling back all these environmental protections, all these regulations that have been on the books for a long time that have been really helpful at minimizing water pollution, air pollution, you know, climate pollution. Um, Trump likes none of it. He is doing everything he can to give everything away so that his buddies in, in corporate America, especially in big oil, can just do whatever they want with immu immunity and, uh, or impunity, whatever the right word is, probably both. But, um, you know, I, and, I, and we can talk about that some more, but I, I, I need a little bit of hope here. And I, I understand that there are a couple good things moving through, through Congress right now that uh, people should know about. Yeah, absolutely. So the first, which is the um, most exciting uh, development, is that the, um, the House passed the Great American Outdoors Act which, um, and you might be saying, well, what is that? Um, so the Great American Outdoors Act uh, fully funds the Land and Water Conservation Fund, which is our country's most successful and probably least recognized uh, program for funding public lands. So it was uh, established, um, actually signed by uh, President Lyndon Johnson. So speaking of things that have been around for, uh, for a really long time, and um, through the Land and Water Conservation Fund, uh, America has uh, gotten more than 15 million acres of public land conserved in almost every single county in the country. Wow. So everything from the you know baseball field down the street to uh, helping to add more land to big national parks. So um, what's so the so the, the countervailing the countervailing um, uh, factor there though is is uh, President Trump wanting to give more and more of our public lands away to uh, drilling and exploration. Right, exactly. So, and so the Land and Water Conservation Fund was supposed to serve as a trust fund, but um, since 1965, Congress has actually only fully funded the program twice, which means that uh, this program that's supposed to have all of this money for conservation, um, the, the money's been you know, diverted to other things that Congress wanted to spend it on. This bill that is now passed both the Senate and the House and that President Trump has actually tweeted that he'll sign. Um, I personally am going to wait and make sure that he <laughs> he signs it before I declare victory. Uh, but this bill will actually make sure that that money can only be spent on what it's supposed to be spent on, which mm -hmm. is um, preserving and um uh, adding uh, to more more public land, so, so it's um, and it, it passed on a bipartisan basis in okay. both uh, chambers, which is incredibly rare these days, yeah. especially on the and environment. So, and so, uh, who who was on the other side of it? Who does not want this bill? Who's been fighting against it? Well, <laughs> um, there's a a set of folks. So uh, in the West, um, there are a set of interests, including. Um, you know, people that want to develop um, our, you know, most of our, our national um, 
you know, national forest, national park land is out in the West. Um, folks don't want the federal government acquiring any more land. So there's been a lot of pushback there um, because the Land and Water Conservation Fund allows, you know, um, allows the, the government to, to acquire more land, sometimes to add to, you know, add to parks that already exist. So there's been a lot of pushback there. Um, and then the other the other pushback and what we mostly saw in the, in the debate was, um, you know, folks just not wanting to spend money on conservation. So, you know, they're just as happy to divert the funds to whatever other <laughs> thing it was that they wanted to do, um, you know, and kind of making this economic argument that, you know, now at this time, we definitely shouldn't be earmarking money for things like conservation. And I think the opposite. I think now more than ever, you know, as we're all social distancing and more and more people are, you know, finding that the safest place to be is outside. Well, yeah, you but know, if, if we, too many, too many of them, too many people find that the safest place to be is all the same big park, then that doesn't work either, does it? No, it doesn't. <laughs> which is is why we need more funding for you know trails yeah. and maintenance of all of the small. Well, parks like you, like too. you, I'll, I'll, I'll hold my, I'll, I'll wait and see whether Trump actually signs it, uh, because it doesn't sound, it does not sound like the sort of legislation Donald Trump would typically support, but. If he does, and again, the fact that it was bipartisan is encouraging. So we'll see. I hope he does. What's the other uh, uh, piece of legislation you were referring to, uh, Lynn? Sure. Um, so it's actually um, w what it is is a uh, a whole chunk of uh, of policy recommendations. So the um, House uh, Select Committee on the Climate Crisis. Try saying that five times fast. Has, um, <laughs> has uh, um, put out a uh, a report that's um, about 538 pages long, uh, and it includes a um, it's a, a roadmap for Congress uh, in the future to build a clean energy economy. And so, um, to boil it down, um, they're you know looking to reach 100% uh, clean net zero emissions, um, and uh, you know, establishing ambitious interim targets and uh, achieving net negative emissions during the second half of the century. It's um, it's not perfect, <laughs> but okay. it's huge, it's comprehensive, and a lot of time and energy has gone into it. And it, it should be a blueprint that Congress can actually follow in the future to, you know, to tackle climate change. Does it mention Green New Deal? It has... Um, <laughs> It may mention the Green New Deal in it. I um, it, it's very long. <laughs> it includes the the text of a lot of bills that have been proposed as part of other um, policies. So it's not you know it's not sort of all new. It includes the text of the Invest Act and the text of the Moving Forward Act and a whole set of other um, hmm. you know and other pieces. Um, but honestly, I haven't compared it sort of point by point. So the, is, is the, next, <laughs> the next step is for this uh, proposal to uh, be drafted into legislation, presumably in the House? Correct. Um, and it would be likely lots of little bits of legislation as opposed to one, you know, sort of massive omnibus um, bill. But the, um, the cool, I don't know if cool thing about it, but I was, um, I was reading through a, a couple of the sections last week and each recommendation indicates, you know, which committee would have to deal with it and, and everything. So it's, hmm. you know, it, it's, it's more of a, um, it's a aspirational, 
you know, let's get this done over a, over a couple of years. But um, it's certainly better than not having any plan right. or and is, is <laughs> that like, having a bunch of, oh, go ahead. Are they likely to start action on that this fall? Well, I think this, um, the, I, I suspect the Democrats are, are probably waiting to see what the political situation looks like. Meaning, um, meaning the election. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we shouldn't expect any action on this till till uh, January. Uh, I think that's I think that's right, but I am not a member of Congress, so I can't tell you for sure. So what, they're, what, um, <laughs> what do what do member? I mean, you've got you've got some members of of Congress that are very aggressive about pushing for the strongest possible climate uh, solution. Again, embodied in most cases under some some form of the Green New Deal. So what do people like Alexandria Ocasio Cortez and and Ed Markey and others who have been leading that fight. What, Bernie Sanders, what do they have to say about this um, this report? It's um, the report is, has been um, praised and um, you know had a lot of uh, a lot of support from I think most most parts of the climate movement. So, um, for example, uh, Jonah Goose, who's a, um, a Congressman from Colorado is a supporter of the Green New Deal and is on this committee and one of the one of the authors. So um, I don't think it's seen as a um, an alternative so much as a you know part of the same push toward let's you know let's solve this problem in the most aggressive way possible. So I've not seen any of the people that you mentioned um, you know have have anything um, critical to say, although. Um, you know, I haven't. <laughs> I I couldn't promise that you know no one said anything. Have we had a Have we had a presidential tweet on the report yet? Uh, I'm certain that President Trump probably um, hasn't not read it, and I don't believe he's tweeted about it. Well, I know I, I know he hasn't read it. I know he won't read it. That won't stop him from tweeting about it, though. I haven't seen any tweets from him about it. Okay, I mean it's probably something along the lines of there go those Democrats again wanting to destroy jobs and. And not caring about the economy, something like that. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe it'd be great to see, it'd be great to see some movement within the Republican Party to begin to support climate action. So, and, and again, maybe maybe the vote you talked about earlier on the on the, uh, I'm forgetting the name already, the uh, the the wild land of water conservation fund. Yes, that one. Yeah, the, the fact that that was bipartisan is encouraging. So. Yes, it's very encouraging. One, la one last question. Does Joe Biden have anything to say about the, uh, about the uh, report from the committee? I haven't seen that he's made a public statement about it. Um, but he has put together a fairly um, high-profile and, and, and ostensibly ambitious task force to address climate. So we'll see if, he begin if he's beginning to take that more seriously. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, Len, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Ed. Folks, we're talking with Len Montgomery with Environment Iowa. When we come back after a short break, Frank Strong's going to join us. We're going to talk about the 30th anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act. When it's time to entertain, think of Gateway Market to handle all the details. Gateway offers a wide variety of stress-free options like cut-to-order cheese and charcuterie, a delicious olive bar, and a wide variety of chef-prepared dips and spreads. Or let Gateway's catering team take care of the entire event, right down to the wine and beer pairings. Gateway's expert floral designers can even customize the perfect centerpieces. Stop by 
or visit gatewaymarket.com for more information. Gateway Market, good food, great entertaining. Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, maybe not an elephant. If you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's work history is long and deep and her clients stick with her year after year because they know she will do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Dr. Holding a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. folks and welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Again, Ed Fallon hosting for you here today. I'd like to take a second to thank a couple of our nonprofit partners. Thanks to Bold Iowa, fighting climate change and the Dakota Access Pipeline since 2015. Check out boldiowa.com. Thanks also to Birds and Bees Urban Farm, where you can learn how to turn your yard into dinner. Birdsbeesurbanfarm.org. Welcome back. And again, Ed Fallon hosting with you here today. Uh, Later in the program, uh, Kathy Burns is going to join us, and we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to take your questions, Q&A, when it comes to urban and rural vegetable garden production in the summer. Uh, there's some tough questions out there, and we're going to do our best to answer them. But first, I want to take this um, opportunity to welcome Frank Strong to the uh, program. Uh, this is the 30th anniversary, anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act. That's a huge, um, huge monumental step forward for our nation. And 30 years, pretty significant. Frank, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Ed. It's great to be here. I'm thrilled. And you've been, you've been, you were probably an advocate for the ADA back when Tom Harkin and others were just first working on it. Yeah, I marched in Washington, D.C. Uh, just prior to its signing uh, uh, back in, uh, back in 1989. Yeah. Yep. So what was, what was the environment like back then? I mean, I, there had to be some opposition. Well, yeah, there's there's always opposition uh, to any kind of civil rights, human rights uh, kind of legislation, and uh, that that's is true for people with disabilities as well as for anybody else that's seeking to to live, you know, a a, a life that's fulfilling and uh, and rewarding and meaningful. So. Um, but first, maybe it'd be helpful, Ed, if I kind of described what a person with a disability is so that yes, the please. folks out there... Yeah, please. Um, the, the way the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, defines a disability is a person has to have a substantial limitation in a major life function. And that means like uh, being able to walk or talk or see or hear or uh, have some... Uh, having some intellectual uh, impairment. Uh, so there's three actual areas. There's physical disabilities, there's sensory, which would be like hearing and vision. Mm, okay. And then there's uh, people that have mental health or, or emotional kinds of disabilities. So, so it's pretty, the, pretty broad. And if you have one of those, then you're, uh, then you're protected under the auspices of the, uh, of the Americans with Disabilities Act. And, I know that you're a you're a human rights advocate, and that's what that's what the ADA is, and it's it's a way to give people a reasonable accommodation to do things such as get on a city bus, or to get a job, or to stay in a hotel, 
right. or to have access to a uh, uh, people that use telecommunication systems for the for the deaf, for example. Right. All good stuff. Yeah. So that that's helpful to kind of put some perspective on it. And um, again, I know it was a. I, I know whenever Tom Harkin talks about his time in the U.S. Senate and prior to that, the U.S. House. Uh, his um, work on the ADA is one of the uh, one of the things he feels most you know most most uh, proud about is the fact that that was a significant um, effort that involved a lot of uh, a lot of uh, a lot of energy and a lot of um, you know a lot, a lot of hard work by a lot of people. But um, you know, so it, it's always you know it, certain certain time points after a big accomplishment, it's good to look back and think, okay, here's what we've accomplished. Uh, what do you so let's let's grade the ADA thirty years later? Would you say that we've accomplished what uh, the the backers of the ADA set out to accomplish, or have we fallen short? Well, I, 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 one of the issues I think there's been some some achievement along the lines, but still uh, the uh, the unemployment rate around people, for people with disabilities is significantly higher than people without disabilities and employment is such a critical part of uh, a person's independence and and actually the, the way they feel about themselves so yeah has the has the ada made a difference it certainly has but there's a long ways to go so where do we pick up from where we left off what's uh, what needs to happen next well the ada needs to be strengthened there has been some changes over time and in 30 years there's a lot of a lot of things have changed, as, as we both know. And so the ADA has been pummeled by some people. And by the way, the ADA was a bipartisan bill right. and, now, and now a law. Uh, but there's certain, uh, certain elements of our uh, legislators that feel that uh, the ADA is entirely unfair to business people, for example. And frankly, uh, the cost of of making accommodations is, for the most part, very insignificant. Mm. And mm -hmm. I have an example I'd like to share with yeah, you if I okay. could. Okay. Uh, Frank, Frank Harkin was uh, Tom Harkin's brother, and he went to the uh, School for the Deaf and Dumb, that's what they called it back then, that's located in, still in Council Bluffs, is now called School for the Deaf. And because of Tom's relationship with his older brother, he was uh, became aware of issues faced by people with disabilities. So uh, that's really you could call it the the Frank Harkin Americans with Disabilities Act, actually, because he was the one that made a difference. And and like Tom always likes to say, you know, his brother said, "I went to the school for the deaf, but I'm not dumb." And so, but that's that's part of the language that is incorporated yeah. to address those kinds of language issues that uh, have been part of our society for since yeah, history you, forever. So. You, can, you can see that, that, that sort of linguistic slight in a lot of areas of our life. And again, oh my. they are being, yeah, you, you, right now, of course, the, the big conversation about linguistic slights, and this should have been happening a long time ago, is pushing sports teams to um, stop using names that are basically racial slurs against Native Americans. But I digress. <laughs> well, no, I think, I think your point is well taken that language has a lot to do with the way we feel about things, people, and projects. And if, for example, um, if a person does have a mental health issue, that person is a person with a mental health issue. First off, primarily it's a person. 
And then if they have a a disabling condition such as mental illness, that's a characteristic of their life, but it's not. So we and people with with those kinds of issues are discriminated against and have been for longer than I know of. So what uh, what do you think should happen next? Uh, I mean, I, I, I'm not sure we can expect much um, to happen before the next Congress comes in, and even then, hard to say what's going to happen. But if if you had a wish list and you could go to, you know, your congressional you member of Congress, your U.S. senators, and say, hey. Here's what needs to happen to bring this to the next level, to provide a, a greater level of accountability, accessibility, and justice to the disabled community. What would you do? What would that look like? Well, the first thing I would do is, uh, by the way, the uh, Americans with Disabilities Act was the first law of its kind in the world, and there's been other acts similar that have been enacted uh, worldwide. But the, the, the push now is to get more involvement with the United Nations and with the State Department. Right now, the State Department doesn't have much of any kind of initiative or people to promote disability rights for people that are uh, here. And and the thing about having a disability is nobody wants to have a disability, but if you end up with one, it's it becomes a, a substantial issue for you. Right. And, and just like I, I assume that you're in good health, and, and I hope you stay in good health, but. Well, right working, now we've working got on a it. pandemic that's creating <laughs> yeah. all kinds of disabilities. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, that's a good question, too. Uh, you know, people get the coronavirus, and, well, for, for those who recover, and that's, for, that's fortunately most people do recover, but are they left with some kind of disability? Uh, in other words, are we swelling the ranks of the disabled in America because of the coronavirus? And if so, what are we going to do to address that problem? Well, I think you've, 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 that's one of the issues that needs to be addressed, and that is a couple of things. One is the coronavirus, and also this the aging of our society, because as people get older, we have more disabling conditions. It's just the nature of the aging process. And so as the average or the median age increases, the likelihood of somebody having a disability is greater. Right. Well, so my wish list is to to be more proactive and uh, actually make people aware that the Americans with Disabilities Act isn't strictly for people with disabilities. It's for the families. It's for the community. And by the way, uh, it doesn't have anything to do with the ADA, but uh, I got to tell you that within my lifetime, Ed, the state legislature has made it so that I could serve on a jury. And most, most people don't want to serve on a jury, but as a blind person, I got to tell you, I feel like I'm just as much a part of this community as anybody else. Right. No, I, I, I agree with you. I would, I would like the opportunity to serve on a jury, but both times that I was called, uh, I think I was too well informed. They, they, uh, <laughs> they ditched me. <laughs> have, you, have you been able to serve on a jury? Well, I was I was called in, but I was never selected. So no, same, I, same, not, same, not same, pro- same problem as me. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, but but so why 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 is the ADA allowed um, in your case a blind person to be able to serve on a jury? Well, it, the ADA the, actually the state legislature passed a law permitting me and other people like me to serve on the jury. Before that, I was I was not permitted to serve on the jury. Uh-huh. And if you look at the, uh, and as you, you're clear on the uh, the people that are tried for a crime, 
they will be tried by a jury of their peers. And I'm one of those people that happens to be a peer of people that are right. uh, accused of a crime and are facing a, a, some kind of a court action. Right. Huh. Well, that's, so, yeah. So, and that brings me to my final question for you there, Frank. Uh, so we're, again, we're, we're kind of celebrating the accomplishments of the ADA. Uh, grateful for the initiatives that made it happen, for the people who, since it happened, have implemented it, um, and, and both, uh, you know, both advocates uh, and, and consumers and, and, and anybody else who has helped make it possible, uh, hoping that um, Congress will take a serious look at any uh, additional upgrades that need to happen, especially in light of the two issues you raise, one, the coronavirus, and two, the, the aging U.S. population. But what about at the state level? Are there other, and again, we're speaking, we'll just we'll speak of Iowa, even though the show is broadcast beyond Iowa, let's look at uh, our level here of uh, a state government. Are there things that should or could happen here that might help make a difference? Well, I do want to, I'm glad you asked that because one of the issues is that the Americans with Disabilities Act is a base and it can be expanded upon and can be, uh, and can be uh, more uh, widespread and more in, intense to meet needs that are more local for uh, one particular area or another. It, the Americans with Disabilities Act has not solved all the problems for people with disabilities, but it certainly has raised the awareness that people with disabilities want to be part of the community, want to have jobs and homes and families just like anybody else. And so that's, that's what we're going to continue to do is to push those things and uh, work with other human rights programs that are and advocates that are really doing likewise. Yeah. Okay, well, Frank, I really appreciate you taking the time to visit with us on this uh, fairly significant uh, occasion. Again, the 30th anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act. We've been talking with Frank Strong, a longtime disabilities advocate. Uh, again, marching uh, for equality, for justice, for action back in 1989 before the uh, legislation actually even passed. Frank, uh, again, if people want to get in touch with you, are you okay with me sending them your way with uh, questions or even just a, just a need to connect with somebody who's been on the front lines of this? Yeah, sure. Uh, uh, please do. Yeah, that'd be great. Any way I could help. Okay, what's, your, what's the best way to contact you? Uh, my best way is to send me an email at frank at frankstrong.net. Frank at frankstrong.net. Got it. Hey, thanks so much. Folks, when we come back, uh, Kathy Burns is going to join us, and we're going to take your questions regarding summertime vegetable gardening. Yeah, lots of stuff going on, but do not despair. Those tomatoes will ripen. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned source for specialty groceries. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, specialty cheeses, and hand-selected wines and craft beer. Visit the Lively Cafe for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Gateway Market is centrally located on the corner of Martin Luther King Jr. Parkway and Woodland Avenue. Stop by or visit www.gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. It's important to know where your food comes from. At Hawk Restaurant, that's easy because 90% comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. Located at East 5th and Walnut Street, Hawk is open for lunch and supper Monday through Saturday. From May through October, you'll also find Hawk at the Downtown Farmer's Market serving fantastic breakfast wraps with 100% of the ingredients from Iowa, except for the salt and pepper. 
Learn more at hawktable.com. That's H-O-Q-Table.com. Hello, welcome back to the Valid Forum. Thanks to uh, Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's my grocery store and a great place for breakfast, lunch, and supper. Uh, Gateway, of course, their dining room was closed because of the pandemic, but you can order through takeout seven days a week, breakfast, lunch, and supper. And again, the grocery store is open from, I think, 7 a.m. till 9 p.m. Also, thanks to Ritual Cafe, Fair Trade Coffee, Fair Trade Tea, and an all-vegetarian menu. Again, the, the cafe itself is closed, but you can order takeout. That's Ritual Cafe. Uh, thanks again for tuning in to today's program, folks. Uh, with me now is Kathy Burns as we attempt with a great endeavor to answer your questions regarding summertime vegetable gardening. Kathy, welcome to the show. Thanks. Birds and Bees Urban Farm participates in several online forums, uh, social media forums with garden questions abounding this time of year. Some people are having all kinds of photos of their success and some people are in utter dismay about what may or may not be going wrong. <laughs> For example? So, well, uh, the first question isn't isn't really uh it's more generic uh, somebody's asking and i'm going to throw this one to you because you are the compost king <laughs> what is your favorite composter or composting process i've never done it and i'm thinking of getting started i don't want to waste my money on the wrong unit and well i would i would smart. strongly recommend not getting those um uh circular ones that spin I've never had any luck with those. They seem to just take whatever you put in there and plop it around in a big mess that never really composts. Uh, basically, your, your compost needs uh, carbon, which, um, which is you know dried leaves, straw, um, that kind of stuff. Uh, it needs nitrogen, chicken manure in our case, but uh, kitchen scraps. There's a whole bunch of coffee grounds. Mm. So uh, you need, an, and there's, you know, there, there are scientific um, references to how much of each you need. I just go by feel. But you need those two, carbon, nitrogen, you need water, you need sunlight. Mm -hmm. So you got to have your composter somewhere where it's going to get, not 100%, not, not sun all day long, but a good amount of sun. And you got to make sure you mix in the right amount of water. And I don't, again, I'm more of an artist than a scientist. I just kind of go by <laughs> feel. I, I make compost the way I cook. But that's important. He's a good cook. Well, I'm all right. But you can you, you got to make the whole thing at once. Don't just like, don't regard your composter as a as a garbage can where you throw your scraps in and then every you know every every day or two you throw some more scraps. And no, it's got to it's like a cake. You got to mix the whole thing up at once. Put it all together. Put it in the oven. The oven in this case being the sun, and then let it cook. And I like I like those um, conical bins because they're easy to lift up and move over, and then you can fork the entire mix back into it. You know, ideally, again, the whole thing sits, you mix it all up at once, hopefully it, it sits for about a week or two, probably, probably a couple weeks, maybe three weeks even. And then you, again, take that, remove that bin, set it next to where the pile is, and then fork that back in so it can have its second cooking. So. This this saves the scraps from going into the garbage, from the city hauling them off, and from being in the landfill. It also saves you from paying for a gym membership. Yeah, and if you really want to save money, you don't don't even. I mean, those those uh, those conical black bins are everywhere in the city, Des Moines at least. You can find one in somebody's backyard that's not using it, and they'll probably let you just take it. 
but you can also, of course, just take old, you know, pallets and fasten, you know, fashion yourself a, a compost bin from pallets, and that works pretty well too. The black plastic is good about drawing heat in, but if you know, I, again, I wouldn't spend any money on it. I would just uh, go out and build yourself a composter mm -hmm. with whatever you've got, or if you can find one of those kicking around somewhere, see if that person will let you have it. Okay. Chances are they aren't using it. Excellent. Uh, somebody's got sweet corn troubles. Uh, in a word, they grew some sweet corn. They were excited about harvesting it, and they went out to look at it, and it was down off the, the stalk and peeled and eaten. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I, I was tempted, to do it. but I we, didn't do it. We haven't bought our sweet corn yet this year. <laughs> we need to get our sweet corn. Uh, raccoons. They, they were wondering if it was deer or raccoons. That's definitely Ooh, raccoons. That'd be an awesome deer if a deer could pull it off. <laughs> well, the deer have the hooves and the dexterity isn't there to like peel the corn. But, but how, the how raccoons you, how, are how, very good manipulators. How do you guard against that? Um, if you live in the country, you have a dog, frankly. And <laughs> uh, that's what I used to do. And um, I guess it's hard. It's just, you know, I don't know. Um, I, I think we don't live where we have a lot of raccoons bothering it. You may want to use that space for a crop that the raccoons don't like and then go buy your corn. I, I'm not sure what to tell people to do. <laughs> yeah, um, Or a, a, there are raccoon traps, uh, live traps. You can catch them and then go let them loose in City Hall. <laughs> no, no, I, I didn't I didn't. I was just going to say follow your city ordinances. <laughs> Yeah. No, they, they, in Des Moines, at least, the, the city government will come. They'll send somebody out to collect that raccoon. They might even let you use the trap, actually. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. I've had that. I, we had one in the attic once years ago, and they, they came and set the trap and then removed the raccoon. Okay, so. that might do it. Um, someone is wanting, it's the first year to grow uh, eggplant, and they're wanting to know uh, how do you know when it's ready to pick and what are some good recipes to try? You, you know when it's ready to pick when it... Skin loses its gloss pretty yeah, much, Yeah, it's right? starting to get a little bit less glossy. A little bit of green at the end. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. And uh, good recipes. There are so many. You can just chop it and saute it. You can chop it kind of fine and saute it and use it as a base to any pasta sauce that you're going to make. It's, it adds a lot of nice nutrient and body to that sauce. Uh, it's not a recipe, but um, yeah. we just slice it and either bread it and fry it in the house or we grill it. Out, out on the wood grill. Bread it in uh, egg and then a mixture of flour, cornmeal, herbs. A little salt and pepper. Yeah. Um, also, parmesan, eggplant parmesan. The fa yeah, the way we keep it through the winter is we make a big, big pan of, a couple of big pans of eggplant parmesan, and then we separate those into some chunks that we can easily freeze and take out and reheat in pans. And, well, in days when we can have company, it's kind of nice mm -hmm. then to just, oh, company's coming. Let's thaw a little Parmesan and, uh, yeah. and have it to eat. So The Smiths are coming it. tonight. Let's give them eggplant Parmesan. That's right. Yeah, they'll love it. <laughs> they'll eat anything. No, actually, it's pretty just good don't stuff. don't feed it to the raccoons. Yeah. A <laughs> um, couple of tomato questions. Uh, someone's saying, did you know? And this uh, somebody's talking about tomatoes. Uh, if your tomatoes aren't ripening, you're not alone. Temperatures above 85, and we've had a lot of those mm. here in uh, central Iowa and elsewhere, will slow down the ripening process. That sounds counterintuitive. Temperatures above 95 can stop the process altogether. And um, some people are saying that the, the 
the tomatoes are just not ripening. And some other people are saying, oh, they're never going to ripen. And other people are saying, hey, this isn't really true. We've got tomatoes coming on like gangbusters. So what have you noticed? You've been checking the tomatoes Well, regularly. it's good food for thought. I'm not really sure on the science of that. It does, uh, it potentially makes sense. Of course, if it gets too hot, uh, tomatoes won't even, um, won't, won't pollinate. Uh, I had one year where we didn't get any tomatoes until October because it was mm-hmm. so darn hot. But I think, I think it makes sense to pick them when they're getting close to ripe. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, have one, we don't have raccoons, we have squirrels. We have actually the devil rat of the squirrel kingdom lives here. Uh, <laughs> it's a wily thing. It's a wily thing. And it has already taken quite a few bites out of quite a few tomatoes. So one way around that is to pick them a little bit early before the squirrel, before the devil rat thinks, oh, I'm going to eat this tomato. Or I'm just going to eat a little bit of it. So, you know, and then we put them inside and within a couple days, they're just as good as if you picked them. And they They make great sauce. I think the most important thing is not to put them in the refrigerator. Never, never until until maybe you've you've sliced them and made your your salad or whatever you're making. It's okay. Um, Another tip about the tomatoes not ripening in higher heat. Um, People prune their tomato plants for various reasons, sometimes just to... Uh, eliminate blight potential, sometimes to allow more air and light. However, uh, somebody's noting on one of these forums that if you're pruning top leaves of your tomatoes, you're eliminating Mm. a shade structure that can protect your tomato from a very high heat and too much sun, which might inhibit the ripening. You're also eliminating the next uh, round of uh, fruit growth. So... Yeah, you want to be careful uh, careful about what you prune off yeah. a tomato. Yeah, be uh, careful of that. Um, and the other point about the tomatoes, people are saying, pick them when they just start to get their color on and let them ripen on the counter. And, you know, the vine ripened versus the counter ripened mm-hmm. debate is raging on, on the Facebook forum. <laughs> I, I, I let them go a little bit. I, I would rather pick them just before they reach perfect ripeness on the vine. We would too, yeah. um, except then the squirrels get them. Yeah, well, so. that's, a, that's, that's the problem. Well, I find way, the squirrels are usually pretty discerning. They'll wait, well, again, at mm-hmm. least the, as I call him, devil rat is very discerning and will wait until the last minute to, to take a bite out of it. So the trick is to beat the devil rat to that tomato. Because they don't deserve them. They have acorns and things. Yeah. Um, uh, zucchini. Somebody is saying their zucchini went bust. You know, we have zucchini for the first time ever in, in this spot, <laughs> but other people's zucchini has gone bust. Can they still replant? Uh, you might you might be able to get away with it. Direct sow it. Don't try to start seedlings and then take them outside. Um, some people wait till July 4th to start planting their zucchini just to avoid the vine bores. Well, you might still get some. If you remember, Catherine, uh, we, uh, <laughs> we tried planting zucchini late last year. And it was a bust. It was. Yeah. So uh, I, I don't know if I recommend that or not. Okay. From my experience, I'm not sure it's gonna, it would work. But uh, theoretically, given the you know, growing days till maturity, it might. But we had no luck with it last year. And this okay. year it's going pretty well. It is. The other question about what can I still plant. Somebody was asking, can I still plant carrots? They had a, a measly oh, yeah. crop the first time. They wanted to know, yes, carrots now, Go yes, absolutely. Yeah. And we do a lot of fall crops. We're in the middle of our fall crop prep and planting right now. Yeah. Good. Time for another question? Um, let's see. Uh, well, you replied to the question about the carrots, and you said, we uh, planted two varieties of heirloom carrots on March 29th and have had an excellent crop, um, and we're planting a fall crop, and um, somebody else is... Um, oh, uh, one more. Somebody's asking... 
or they're noting that they have a lot of pretty caterpillars on their parsley. <laughs> and that's not a hookworm on a tomato, so it's probably a swallowtail butterfly. Which we, uh, in, we had a beautiful making. swallowtail butterfly caterpillar on our fennel, and it was slaughtered by a merciless uh, wasp. I was watching <laughs> it really yeah. closely. I was watching it several times a day to see when it might, you know, develop into uh, a new butterfly and this caterpillar. And um, I went out to check it one day, and while it was hanging there, a wasp was digging in, and it was... It was fascinating because be, it was nature, yeah, but it was gruesome. If, if, if a wasp will come and kill a, a caterpillar that's decimating your crop, that's a cool thing. But this was kind of one we were hoping would turn into a swallowtail, but yeah. no luck. You know, the other one, one thing I'd say about fall gardens is that do it. Uh, people are wondering if you can, if they should. Yes, absolutely. Some of the best crops will come now, well, will come this fall, if you plant them first week of August. And we're going to be doing turnips, uh, parsnips, carrots, beets, lettuce, Spinach, arugula, radishes, green beans. You know, it's it's like an I'm entire. I'm just thinking It's about like it. an entire new round, and and it's you want to make sure you're rotating crops. You want to make sure you're amending the soil so that it's got some additional nutrient value to it. And but go for it. Fall gardens um, are they rock. And again, some crops like turnips do even better in the fall. Yep. Yep. Hey, thanks for uh, joining us, Kathy. You bet. Thanks for tuning in today, folks. This is Ed Fallon, your host on the Fallon Forum. Again, sign up for our email. Go to the uh, Fallon Forum website, click on Stay in Touch, and let's keep in touch. You can also uh, follow, the, uh, follow the program on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts. And, of course, some of our segments, including this one, will be broadcast on the Fallon Forum Facebook page. Thanks to Kathy Burns, also one of our producers of this program, and to Sherry Herdina, the other producer. And thanks to you, our audience. Again, this is Ed Fallon, your host on the Fallon Forum. <laughs>